Hello, everybody, and welcome into this edition of the Sports Detective Podcast, hosted by yours truly. So I'm giving a little introduction here um, just to talk about what's happening in this podcast. So I have a few different segments. This is kind of the first fully jammed podcast I've really had with multiple segments of me just, you know, talking about stuff. Pretty much that spawned because... I did the Strange, Obscure, and Awesome. This week it was actually more Strange and Obscure than Awesome, but whatever. Nicknames. I did that a little bit shorter than I thought it would be. So we have a little bit of a surprise, too, with a Coach Chamberlain segment. Just about five, six minutes of Wilt Chamberlain's story as being a coach, how he became the coach of the San Diego Conquistadors for a season in the ABA. Remember that league? Yeah, he coached there. And then we're going to close out the pod by talking a little bit about the last dance. Really short kind of thing about the last dance. Just necessarily talking about um, kind of some of these players that are on the Bulls coming out and saying, hey, I don't like how I looked in that. What's going on here, Jordan? Why'd you do that? So we're going to get into that. So go ahead right now and listen to the story about the legend of head coach Wilt Chamberlain. There may be a lot of things you know about Wilt Chamberlain. You may know he scored 100 points in a game the same season he averaged 50 points a game. You may know he was a lifelong bachelor, won two NBA championships, and played a year for the Harlem Globetrotters. But did you know Wilt once tried to be a coach? When Wilt Chamberlain walked off the court after Game 5 of the NBA Finals in 1973, a Lakers loss to the Knicks. It was the last game of his NBA career. As his career advanced into his 30s, his play began to diminish. He wasn't as athletic as he once was, and he also put on a few extra pounds. He thought his basketball career was done, ready to coast into retirement, write a few books, run marathons, and continue being a bachelor. However, the ABA had different plans for the Big Dipper. The American Basketball Association was a struggling league that sole purpose was to force a merger with the NBA. They had made big strides during its short run, getting Rick Barry, Billy Cunningham, and other NBA starts to jump leagues and was able to force players to leave early from college to come play professionally, names such as Dr. J, Moses Malone, and David Thompson. ABA teams were encouraged to make dramatic decisions that would gauge interest from fans in the media. So the San Diego Conquistadors, yes, that was their real name, made the biggest splash in their young life as an ABA franchise by signing maybe the greatest basketball player ever at the time. The idea was to have Wilt be a player coach. He liked this idea as he had a tough time getting along with coaches in his NBA career by having 11 different ones in his 14-year career. Real stat. So why not coach himself like Bill Russell did and not have to listen to anyone and he could boss around everyone? Perfect for Wilt, tough for his teammates slash players. Wilt was also going to make $600,000 a year to play in the ABA, which was more than double that he was making in his last few years with the Lakers. It was also perfect as he lived in Los Angeles, so he could commute relatively easily to the games by a short flight or by a helicopter ride. He took pictures in their uniforms and everything, seemed like a done deal, and even played in four expedition games where he averaged 18 a game. 
but the Los Angeles Lakers had a different idea. They sued Chamberlain, stating that he was still under contract with the Lakers, and for as long as he was under contract, he could not play professionally with any other team. The Lakers won the lawsuit, and Wilt the player was done playing basketball. However, his Lakers contract didn't say anything about him coaching. Thus, Coach Chamberlain was born. Wilt was going to be coaching a team that was below ABA standards. The team wasn't very successful, which is why they wanted to get a big-name player to attract fans to their small 3,200-seat arena. The small arena combined with Coach Wilt Chamberlain led to the eyebrow-raising ad campaign named the tallest coach in the smallest arena. Wilt was more interested in not coaching than actually coaching. He is more of the figurehead of the operation. Luckily, assistant coach Stan Allback was there and was ultimately the unofficial head coach of the team. Coaching really wasn't Wilt's thing. According to some of the players, he wouldn't show up for practices that often and missed a few games for his book signing and for other undisclosed reasons. At one point, Gene Moore, a player on the team, told Basketball Digest, Wilt works out with us, but a lot of times he has to stop and talk to some young lady on the telephone. Wilt later responded by calling Moore a fat pig and cut him. Even as a coach, Wilt was still a big draw for the ABA. Even as a coach, Wilt was still a big draw for the ABA. One game in Greensboro against the Carolina Cougars, the game was sold out, which didn't happen that often there. Fans showed up just for the chance to see Wilt. Unfortunately, Wilt didn't show up for some reason. So Albeck coached, and people were very upset because they wasted their money. One weekend in February of that season, Wilt missed games on back-to-back -back nights. Here were some of the comments from members of the team. The San Diego GM said he was sick. The assistant coach said he was scouting. The team owner said he was tending to company business. Wilt's attorney, he's around. Here's what Wilt had to say about his absence. I've been working hard trying to earn a living. I don't understand the concern you guys, members of the press, have for me. My mother wasn't concerned. The world has so many problems, but all the press wants to know, what's Wilt doing? Most people would consider Wilt Chamberlain's job as a coach as earning a living and not doing whatever he may have been doing for this unexcused absence. The 70s was a far more physical era of basketball than the 80s or 90s, but no one ever talks about it since a lot of the games weren't on television. The ABA was certainly a lot more physical than the NBA, or maybe there was just a lot more fights and dirty plays. During one game against Indiana, Mel Daniels got into a fight with one of San Diego's guards. Mel Daniels was one of the biggest, strongest guys in the league. Wilt went out and picked him up like a toddler. When the Indiana bench saw what was happening, they started to go out on the floor and then noticed it was Wilt that lifted up Daniels, and they decided it was best to stay put. They didn't want to mess with Wilt. However you want to consider how Wilt's short coaching stint was, he air quotes coached the San Diego Conquistadors to their best record in the existence of their franchise with a 37-47 record. After the season, Wilt was done coaching, and he was done with his basketball life. He now joins the list of other all-time great players who couldn't cut it as a coach, which is, well, you know, all of them. And that is the legend of Coach Chamberlain. Strange, Obscure, and Awesome Sports Nicknames, Part 3. In ode to the players that have been nicknamed the Human Victory Cigar, this referring to players who enter the game after the outcome has already been decided. A reference to Red Auerbach's famous Victory Cigar, he would sometimes spark up with minutes remaining in a Celtics basketball game. 
when the winning team would send in the, this player off the bench, you knew the game was over. Hence the name Human Victory Cigar. The first player we're diving into. Okay, I'm cheating a little bit. Not an NBA nickname. Jared Goff. His nickname is, of course, Mr. Perfect. Because when you watch Jared Goff play football, do you think of anything other than him being perfect? Well, no, you actually think he's kind of not perfect. But Jared Goff, why would anyone call Jared Goff Mr. Perfect, you may ask? Well, at some point in Jared Goff's football career, he was called Mr. Perfect at the University of California. It's unclear why the student body may have been calling him perfect. It may be as a quarterback that he can throw an absolutely perfect football. It could be a description of how he appears to be as a person. Handsome, clean-shaven, blonde hair, and he couldn't be any nicer of a guy. Goff, at least in Berkeley, is perfect. This became so popular, ESPN's College Game Day did a four-minute feature about Mr. Perfect at Cal. You can look up on YouTube... I'm going to start I'm going to cut again. I'm going to go where you can look this up on YouTube. You can look up this on YouTube and you can see where they ask off if he was actually perfect. And he said no. He said he doesn't pick up his room and that his mom usually does his laundry for him, considering that his parents live close to the campus. So, he's actually not perfect. Next name, back to the NBA. Eric Bledsoe. What could be Eric Bledsoe's nickname, you may ask? Mini LeBron, of course. Thanks to Jamal Crawford, the name Mini LeBron is always going to be on Bledsoe's basketball reference page. Early in his time with the Clippers, Jamal Crawford referenced to him as Mini LeBron because of his athleticism and production. Clippers teammates also said that in transition at times, he could almost be as unstoppable as LeBron James. Even LeBron referred to him as as mini LeBron after a game in a quote given by Bledsoe. Like the baby Durants or the zoo all cinders of the world, I think we should just start leaving some of these nicknames alone. We won't. Next one, Cody Zeller. The big handsome. If you look at a picture of Cody Zeller, you may already think that this nickname is similar to calling a fat guy slim. But trust me, this nickname is a compliment that makes Zeller the player he is today. To know the origins of this nickname, we have to go all the way back to his college days. Indiana head coach Tom Crean gave Zeller his nickname as a compliment to his playing style. He said that he is the most mentally focused kid I've ever recruited. I see a young man that has a mental toughness that is not normal. You have to understand that Zeller was recruited to Indiana at a time when the basketball program was at one of its lowest points ever. When Tom Cream recruited him, he also referred to the Big Handsome as the savior of Indiana basketball. He certainly was for the two years he spent in school. The Big Handsome helped Indiana make back-to-back Sweet 16 appearances and a Big Ten championship in his sophomore season. That team was also one seed in the tournament. Okay, Nikola Jokic. The Big Honey. Or just Big Honey. There is no certain reason on the internet that explains the Joker being called Big Honey. There is a hilarious clip of him in 2009 being interviewed by Shaq, Kenny, Ernie, and Charles where he is selected to the All-Star Game. Upon being selected to the All-Star Game, 
His teammate Will Barton gives Jokic a congratulation tweet where he calls the big man Big Honey. Jokic immediately is embarrassed and is wiping away sweat and tells them not to call him that name again. The idea that Jokic is being called Big Honey is compared to his similar body type to Winnie the Pooh, or the fact that he is a big guy who may like unhealthy food more than he likes exercise. We won't know the exact origin of where this nickname came from until this podcast is so big where I can interview Will Barton and interrogate him as the origins of this nickname. How about an old school guy? Well, kind of old school. Not really old school. Ricky Davis. What's his nickname? Wrong Rim Ricky. This interesting nickname originated in an ordinary regular season game. Ricky Davis was one rebound away from a triple-double in a blowout game. So when he is inbounded the basketball with seconds remaining on the game clock, and on the opposite side of the court from the basket he is supposed to score in, he purposely throws the ball up to the rim he is supposed to be defending, in an attempt to secure his 10th rebound of the game. The play is of course not called a rebound, and Ricky is not awarded his coveted triple-double. It should be pointed out that only a player from the University of Iowa would attempt a play so dumb. Shows that the truly prestigious university of the school in the state that no one cares about is located more towards the capital and has a mascot that is a tornado bird. Just saying. Okay. Ryan Hollins, the booty call. This nickname does not appear as it seems on its surface and does not refer to Ryan Hollins as nightlife. Ryan Hollins was a journeyman in the NBA, playing for nine teams in ten seasons. Instead of getting his nickname at the beginning of his career or before he even went pro, Hollins got this unique nickname at the end of it. Before his final professional season, Hollins did not get a guaranteed contract in the offseason, but ended up getting brought into training camp by the Grizzlies. This ended shortly as the Grizzlies waived him in late October of the 15-16 season. He later signed with the Wizards for a few weeks before being waived again. Since then, he got waived by Memphis three times. <laughs> he signed two 10-day contracts on December 29th, then the other 10-day contract in February. Then, finally in March, he got signed to a full contract on March 2nd. The string of off-and-off flings with the team prompted Grizzlies wing Tony Allen to call Hollins the booty call on the Chris Vernon show, saying that we kept bringing him back. So Hollins was able to finish out the rest of his career on a poor Memphis team filled with G League players and hasn't played a game of NBA basketball past this season. We're going really old school here with this next nickname, maybe even prehistoric. George Glamick. Or as he was known in his heyday, the Blind Bomber. Glamick, an All-American in 1940 and 1941 at North Carolina, was nicknamed the Blind Bomber because he had very poor eyesight and had to rely on the lines drawn on the court when shooting. The Spalding Guide noted that Glamick, who was ambidextrous when on the court, is also so nearsighted that the ball is merely a dim object. But apparently he never looked where he was shooting. Depending on his sense of distance and direction, the secret of the blind bomber was looking at the black lines on the court. By doing that, he knew where he was in reference to the basket and was able to measure his shot. Ah, uh, yes, the good old days when players couldn't see. Another fun old player who couldn't see is George Mikan. 
George Mikan, if you recognize the name, is the greatest NBA player pre-1950. Mikan took the position of being the American Basketball Association commissioner when the league formed. One thing he insisted on is that the games be played with a blue, red, and white ball. The reason being he had trouble seeing the brown ball on TV. Ah, yes, the good old days. Another old school guy. Not as old school. Clarence Walker, or, as he's better known as, Footswalker. Many nicknames could be used to describe a player that is fast, such as Cheetah, Flash, but Foots just seems like you weren't even trying on this one. I couldn't find a source explaining the origins of this nickname, but Foots was a 10-year veteran in the NBA, playing on Cleveland and New Jersey. Shaquille O'Neal, or the Big Marvich. Shaq was one of the worst free throw shooters in the NBA, so when he drilled nine in a row in a playoff game against Portland, it was such a rare occasion Shaq crowned himself the Big Maravich. This goes along with the other nicknames that begin with the Big in reference to Shaq that he dubbed himself, including the Big Aristotle, as a reference to the consistent greatness that won him the 2000 NBA MVP, the Big Felon, for making a game-saving steal against the Orlando Magic. And the big IPO, because his stock was way, way up. And our feature, strange, obscure, and awesome nickname for part three is none other than Nick Young, calling himself Swaggy P, or, in his earlier years, Bean Burrito. Nick Young was one of the clowns in the NBA during the 2000s and 2010s, a clown we may not even consider a clown if he didn't give himself the nickname Swaggy P. Across the NBA world, he became better known as Swaggy P than his actual name. The nickname depicts a mystery, as neither his first or last name does not start with the letter P. After bouncing around the NBA in Washington, the Clippers, and Philly, he signed a long-term contract with the Lakers, one of the league's most prestigious teams. He became one of the first gifts, with his turn around and celebrate before the ball actually goes in the hoop stunt. But how did Nick Young go from, well, Nick Young into Swaggy P? Well, we didn't know the answer for a while, until he told the truth behind the nickname when he posted an Instagram video in 2014 saying why. Here's his quote. God, in a dream, talk to me. And he gave me that name. I'm like, you know what, God? That is a funny name. I might need to run with it. And ever since then, I've been calling myself Swaggy P. It's a household name. It is a household name, all right. Swaggy also gave two other versions on this nickname's origin. On NBA Game Time, he said, I think if you look good, you play good. So, you know, the Swaggy starts with how I come in the arena, how I dress, the shoes I wear. The P is a mystery. I can't tell you that right now. I might have to write a book someday. Not reading that book. In Slam, there is a passage that says this. Young will only say that Swaggy became his moniker as a result of his friends, who showered him with compliments about his incredible swag. Naturally, he adapted it to become Swaggy, which was more becoming of his lifestyle. As for the P, the P is a mystery. I can't give that secret out yet, Young says. It was one of my first nicknames, so nobody really knew about it, and I just kept it a secret. People keep asking about it, 
So I started saying it's a mystery. In a couple years, I'll give you all something. This is all fine and dandy to talk about the amount of brain power it takes to call themselves Swaggy P. But Nick Young has one more strange, obscure nickname. If you take a glimpse at his basketball reference page, you see he is also nicknamed Bean Burrito. How did Young dub himself as one of my favorite Mexican fast food treats? Well, you have to go back to his rookie season in Washington. There is an article in the Washington Post that explains his reasoning. It was passed down from generation to generation, Young said. Only the great legends were named Burrito. They used to call Michael Jordan Black Bean Burrito because he was dark, and his head was like a bean. Kobe Bryant was guacamole. So essentially, Nick Young combined the burrito for Michael Jordan and Kobe, as his middle name is, Bean, into his Nick Young's nickname, Bean Burrito. Why Kobe was nicknamed Guacamole by Nick Young, I have no idea. Comparing yourself to two of the greatest shooting guards in NBA history is even more puzzling. At least he had the creativity to compare himself to legends using food. If you're a certain player by the name of Dion Waiters, you might just combine their names as one to create your own nickname. Remember Kobe Wade in part one? Nick Young was able to join the Golden State Warriors for the 2018 championship run. After the finals, Young changed his nickname to Swag Champ, as a reference to his one and only ring in the NBA. Nick Young has brought a lot of humor in our lives, and a lot of disappointment on the basketball court. He's an example of a guy who probably enjoyed more of what the game gave him, rather than what he gave to the game. He was certainly talented. He even averaged 17 points a game one year in Washington. He was a good role player for the Warriors, and probably still has some game left in him, considering he's only 34 years old. Even though 34 isn't exactly young by NBA standards, Swaggy P is a shooter in a shooter's league, and should be on a team. As the years go by, we'll probably forget about Nick Young the player, and probably just remember his breakup with pop star Iggy Azalea, his gifts, and his memes. But hopefully we also don't forget his strange, obscure, and awesome nicknames. Okay, so I wanted to end this podcast talking about The Last Dance, but not necessarily The Last Dance, but kind of what some of these Bulls teammates have come out and said about The Last Dance here. So Pippen came out and said he was disgusted at his portrayal. Might not have said disgusted, but another synonym to that. Horace Grant said, hey, I wasn't the snitch. You know, that kind of thing. And I think a lot of it is a lot of these players are like, hey, you know what? I was a bigger part of this team. And you know what? They had a point where it was like you watch that documentary and it's all about the mythology of Jordan. But that's kind of what we like about documentaries, right? That's what this documentary was. And I think a lot of people that are from that lived that experience look at that and they're like, all right, you know what? That's what Scottie Pippen was. He was good, you know, and it kind of said it too. And I think part of it is like you watch the end of it where they did have their like Pippen episode, but the Pippen episode, it was like, all right, that's it. But we are not going to say a good thing about Scotty again until 1998. And I guess he had that season where he was an MVP candidate. But if you're Scotty Pippen, you're watching this and you're like, hold on, wait a second. They keep talking about all these games where I have a migraine and I have these back spasms, but they're not talking about all these good Scotty Pippen games. Like, for most of these years, I'm going to point out some stats here real quick. In from 1990 to 1998 with the Bulls, which was, so that's the year that he made it to the 
uh, or the Bulls made it to the Eastern Conference Finals against the Pistons, lost in seven. That's the migraine game. And then all the way to 98, which is obviously the last dance. So during that time, Scottie Pippen made seven all-star teams. Okay, would have been eight if he didn't have that season where he held out with his foot injury. He made three first-team All-NBAs. Three. Two second-team All-NBAs. And two third-team All-NBAs. So you could probably make the assumption that for most of that stretch, it's also hard to make first-team All-NBA when you have a teammate who's Michael Jordan who is also going to make first-team All-NBA. You have to put that into perspective. But for the most part, he was a top five to top ten player. So if you're Scottie Pippen, you're like, okay, yeah, you know what? I was kind of portrayed. And they also didn't mention that I made seven first-team all-defenses. They also never mentioned that going into every single one of these matchups, Michael Jordan, awesome defender, but who did they ask to handle the toughest defender? Scottie Pippen. Who did they ask to get the people, get everyone on the team involved? Who led the team in the assists? most of that stretch it wasn't michael jordan it was scotty pippen and he was you know batman to robin or excuse me robin to batman and that's okay you also have to understand too that no one really cares about the scotty pippen story in that documentary people weren't like you know but pippen's defense but pippen's assists so there's also that thing too and you're someone like horace grant i'd actually be upset if i was horace grant because you were like also looking at this documentary and this game thing with Scottie Pippen where they're like, why is there so much Rodman content? Dennis Rodman might be one of the most overrated players historically where we look at him and we're like, oh my God, that guy, defense, rebounds. I think he only made like two all-star teams like his entire career. But he was on these amazing championship teams and that's why he is remembered as such a great player. Not necessarily because he was great, which he was, but just because he happened to play on the Bulls and he happened to play on the Pistons. Those are big parts of it. But if you're Horace Grant, too, you're like, hey, I made an all-star team the year Jordan left. So did B.J. Armstrong. And I made four second-team all-defenses. Two of them were the Bulls, two of them were the Magic. But still, the whole point of this is saying, yeah, you know what, these guys were kind of underappreciated. But that wasn't the point of the documentary. We wanted to see Michael Jordan. We wanted to see who he really was. We wanted to see that raw emotion. We wanted to see everything. And also the people that are like, I was fine the way the documentary went, even though it's like some people are like, you know, he really got into the hard stuff there. And I'm like, kind of, but not really. It is kind of like they kind of pulled the blinds open for a minute and then shut them. And then I think some people were just kind of like so mesmerized by it, but they were like, okay, yep, I saw it, good enough. And other people were like, no, 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 I kind of wanted to keep that open. We wanted to keep that open. We want to learn a little bit more about the gambling thing. We want to learn a little bit more about how he was in practices and how he treated teammates. But who cares? Really, who cares? Um, it was a good documentary. I think we all loved watching it. It gave us something to talk about for five weeks. Uh, also a few th other things about Jordan, just, just a few things. These aren't criticisms. It's just kind of things that like people will say. They're like, oh, you know what? The media was horrible to Jordan. It was horrible. Absolutely ridiculous media coverage on Michael Jordan. Everyone hated him. 
if that's the case, how come every time you hear from someone from that era, they always talk about how much they love Jordan the Bulls? I haven't heard that one media member from that era coming out and speaking going like, you know what? That Michael Jordan guy kind of sucked. No one says that. My last thought, and then I think I'll go. Another thing about Michael Jordan, isn't he like the only fashion mogul, fashion icon that just doesn't dress like it? Like he's just, like seriously, go look at all that stuff. Didn't you think of like when the 10 part, or it's probably be 11 parts just so he can like one-up him. The 11 part documentary on LeBron James comes out. Do you think he's going to be wearing something cool instead of like his Hanes undershirt? He'll probably be drinking red wine instead of scotch or whiskey or whatever, bourbon whatever Jordan was drinking. But, yeah, that's my thoughts on that. I'm not going to talk about it anymore. Um, so, yeah, that's the podcast. Uh, hope you guys enjoyed it. Go rate, review, subscribe, whatever. Listen on all platforms. If you listen to it on Spotify or another platform, be like, you know what, hey, I think I should listen to it on Apple now. Hey, I think I should listen to it on Spreaker now. Why not? So go ahead, listen uh listen to other podcasts too listen defending legends all of mine are pretty much timeless but yeah go listen to all of them follow me on twitter jws detective i'll be back next week with a golf podcast on a specific player from the 90s the bad boy of golf and that's the hint i'll give you for now until then signing off see you next time I'm <laughs> sorry.